I know normally when I find myself in an assembly hall, and there's lots of little children up here at the front, and so it's very different to be in an assembly hall and not to have that, um, but I think I am just as nervous, if not more. Um, but it is lovely to be with you um, as a church family and share with you this morning um, from God's Word. Um, so we're going to be in John 4. Um, the title that I've chosen um, is Invitational Living. What does it look like for us to live invitationally, to welcome people in? Uh, One of the common conversations um, that I now have with pupils and with SU leaders um, is how to welcome and integrate children who have chosen to embrace lifestyles that are not consistent with the Bible. So one SU leader um, had a chat with me about some um, young people within her SU group who are part of the LBGTQ plus community. And how does she disciple them? How does she help them um, to navigate God's word and what it says about that? Uh, One teacher um, had a pupil come back after the summer into her forum class um, who's transgender and so comes back with a different gender. How does she uh, embrace and encourage um, this young person? Um, How does she help the pupils within the SU group in her school to show love and care um, to this young person? Um, for many of our SU groups, and even especially in primary schools, um, we're seeing such a multicultural um, makeup of them, uh, with children coming from different faith backgrounds. Maybe some parents don't know what they're sending uh, the children to when they send them to a scripture union. Um, I did hear of one um, pupil that thought they were coming to sculpture club, um, and no, it's quite different. Um, but so we do have those experiences where children who are from different faith backgrounds are coming into our SU groups now. So how do we show that welcome, show that care, and show that love that God has called us to? We recognize that the Bible is God-breathed, that it's authoritative, and that it's relevant to each of our lives. But unfortunately, Christians uh, today in society are given this label of intolerance. We are intolerant um, because of the views that we hold, because we stick to our guns on certain issues, and we aren't loving or caring. But tolerance does not require each of us to hold the same view. But the church has, however, not always done a great job at engaging people that they don't agree with. Too often we find that when people have made choices that we don't approve of, they're shunned, they're ignored, they're ostracized. But what would it look like if we as the church, as the church today, as we step out into our everyday lives, as we engage with our families, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, what would it look like for us to be living invitationally? To live in such a way that invites others in. And so we're going to look at John 4 uh, and see how Jesus engaged with the Samaritan woman. So if you have your Bible with you, um, open it to John chapter 4. And I'm going to read uh, the passage in three parts as we move through. Um, We're just going to be going through um, quickly. I'm not going to be going into much detail in a lot of this. Um, There's lots of other people that have written so much more um, deeply um, in much of this. Um, But I want us to look specifically at the idea of inviting and the the posture um, that Jesus had towards this woman. Um, So we're going to read from John chapter 4. First of all, we're going to read verses 4 to 9. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard um, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. 
And he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Let's pause there. I want us to see, as we delve into this part of the passage, how Jesus breaks down barriers. How Jesus breaks down barriers. Now we read of Jesus passing through Samaria. And there was great animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And they believed that um, their religious practices were superior to each other's. Um, and because of this cultural, cultural barrier, often Jews would not go through Samaria. They would lengthen their journey um, to, to not have to pass through um, the part, um, this part of the country. But we see how this does not... Stop Jesus bringing his disciples through Samaria. He had a plan. He had a reason to be there. And so he continues to go through. We also read that it was the hottest point in the day. It was said it was about the sixth hour. So it was about midday. Uh, one commentator said that the Greek um, word that's used here um, describing how Jesus felt at this time of the day um, emphasizes his weariness. Um, he was weary from traveling and with the sun beating down upon him. He couldn't go any further, and so his he sent his disciples into the village to get food while he rested by the well. But that didn't stop Jesus engaging with this woman. Jesus, a Jewish man, then speaks to a Samaritan woman, and it was unbelievable for a man in those days to speak to a woman from another country, especially the Samaritan woman. The woman's own response makes it clear how shocked she was. And later we read of Jesus' own disciples being shocked that he was engaging with this woman from Samaria. But yet Jesus was not worried about being misunderstood. Jesus asks her for a drink of water to share her drinking utensils. Now culturally the Jews would not have done that. They wouldn't have used eating or drinking utensils that had been used by Samaritans. But Jesus showed no such prejudice against the Samaritan woman. We observe Jesus breaking down barrier after barrier to engage with the Samaritan woman. Barriers of history, of misunderstanding, of culture, of comfort, of prejudice. What does it look like for us to learn from that example? What barriers exist or do, do we erect that prevent us from inviting people to meet Jesus? To welcoming people to Jesus. I had the privilege of working um, just down the road um, at um, McDonald's. I'm here at the Boucher Road um, for a year and a half. Um, I was the um, family and youth pastor down in Finicky Baptist Church um, for five years. And during part of that time, um, I wanted to study for my master's. And so I needed another job um, to be able to pay my way through that. And so I got a job down at McDonald's. And it was such a wonderful privilege to engage with people who I normally would not link with. And they were not in the same social circles at all. And so to be able to have conversations with my colleagues about what it meant that I was a pastor. They didn't understand, many of them didn't understand that. Was that like a priest? How was I different? Um, so I had to explain some of that. Um, but some of the conversations that I was able to have with them were so uh, wonderful, and to see the openness that they had to asking questions and exploring faith. 
Many of um, the employees at the time were from the LBGTQ plus community. And at the time, um, it was around the time um, of the Asher's cake um, situation. Um, and so there were many conversations that my gay colleagues would have with me asking how I felt about what was going on and what did I think of this situation. And I remember one of my shifts, uh, one of my female managers who's uh, in a same-sex relationship asked if she and her partner arrived at my church, would they be welcome? Now, obviously, my automatic reaction is, yes, yes, of course you'd be welcome. You know, we'd love to see you there. But then it got me to thinking, well, what would it look like if they actually came in? Like, how would so-and-so respond? Well, I know somebody, I know that person probably would not, you know, be very welcoming. They might be a bit shocked, especially when they hear they're in a relationship. What would it look like for those kind of people to come into our churches? come into our services. And so it did get me thinking, what kind of barriers do we have in place that makes it hard for people who um, have chosen different lifestyles than we are used to, ones that we don't agree with, um, ones that we don't see um, are um, in line with Scripture, how do we show acceptance without having to approve of the choices that they have made? How do we break down some of those barriers just to have relationship with them? Let's read on in the passage, and we're going to read um, verses 10 to 14. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus meets this Samaritan woman on her turf in her comfort zone. And he doesn't judge her, he doesn't treat her differently, but he begins to engage her with a topic that she was familiar with, getting water. It's clear that she doesn't really get what Jesus means uh, initially. Where was Jesus getting this special water from? He had no bucket. It seemed strange to this woman that Jesus was talking in this way. But Jesus persists, and he explains that this life-giving water brings eternal satisfaction. The Greek used for never, when it's talking about never being thirsty again, is so emphatic. It uses the strongest possible never uh, negative expression. This woman would never thirst again if she had this water. But it seems the woman still didn't quite get it. As we see in her reply in verse 15, she says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty again or have to come here to draw water. It seems, oh yes, she wants the water. But actually, as we read it, it sounds as if she's replying quite sarcastically to Jesus. She's had enough of him. She doesn't get what he means, what he uh, is trying to get at here. And so she says, oh, give me this water. For many of us today, though, we maybe struggle to share the truth, but that's what Jesus is doing here. We see Jesus offering the truth. He offers this life-giving water. He's talking about eternal life. He's offering this relationship with him. 
He goes on to explain um, a little bit more, and we will look at that. But for many of us today, we struggle to share the truth. We see in society today where we're called intolerant, and so the automatic reaction is, well, I'm just not share what I believe then. And surely then people won't get annoyed. We don't take a view on things, or we don't share with people what our view is. I want to read um, just a little bit from um, this book here called A War of Loves um, by David Bennett. Um, he's a um, gay, celibate Christian. Um, he spoke at the Reboot conference that Scripture Union um, helps to host here. Um, he's from the um, Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, originally um, an Australian guy. He shares here in this chapter of going to um, an event, um, an interfaith event, where they were talking about marriage and different perspectives that people had on marriage. And when it was his turn to get up, he said this, I believe God made our bodies. They matter. They matter so much that God became human in Jesus. The fact that God created human beings with two sexes reveals both the diversity and the unity of human persons. Not because he wants to condemn LBGTQI people, and I paused and looked around the circle. For Christians, marriage between the male and female sexes takes on a deeper meaning only when we understand the relationship of Jesus, who's the bridegroom, and the church, who's his bride. God has called me to trust that he knows best, and he knows the eternal story that he's writing. In the meantime, he's shown me that I can give my same-sex desires to him and find a deeper satisfaction in and love in knowing and worshiping him than I ever could in pursuing my desires. He goes on, before we finished, I felt compelled to share something more. If I could leave everyone in this room with a message, it's that human marriage between one man and one woman is just a reflection of a more fundamental marriage. That's the one between Jesus and his church. And there's no sexual or gender minority group, no religious group that's not invited to his wedding. God worked through it. When I finished, several people were crying. While most of the LBGTQI people there disagreed with my conclusion, they thanked me for sharing so honestly. Some people from other faiths admitted to me that they didn't have the courage to share their deeper views because they didn't want to be perceived as homophobic or unloving. I had managed to be honest without being judgmental. Little did they know that the years of work and tears that it had taken to get to that place in my own heart. I left that meeting eager for more. I had a real hope now that the peaceful, honest exchanges could be possible. Several people who were there at this meeting attended our Christian Union events days after. Eventually, some of them came to know Christ for themselves, each with a remarkable, beautiful story of their journey to faith. Such a beautiful example of offering the truth in a loving and gracious way. And it's so topical for us today, um, following the news this week, um, of these amendments that have been put on um, to um, the, the bill going through um, the Commons and the House of Lords. I'm looking at the redefinition of marriage in Northern Ireland um, and abortion as well. How do we speak well in these situations where we have the opportunity with a neighbor or with a colleague or even with our family how do we speak well in a loving and gracious way? It doesn't mean that we can't have our opinion. We need to speak the truth. Jesus offered the truth, but it's the way in which we do it. So Jesus offers the truth to the woman. In society today, because um, 
people are concerned about um, being perceived as intolerant, it closes down um, the conversation too often. When God calls us um, to, to live out truth, uh, Timothy, uh, Paul said to Timothy, um, as he called him to be an approved worker, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he reminds him that the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and be patient with difficult people. In 2 Timothy, um, we see Paul giving Timothy um, this um, charge to, to live faithfully to God's word and to speak truth through it. Paul reminds Timothy that it's God who changes hearts. We are called to share and offer the truth. How can we start offering truth in love? What does it look like for us to be able to do that in our context? So we're to break down barriers, we're to offer the truth. Finally, we see love without hindrance. Let's read on, um, verses 16 um, to 30. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one um, that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped here on this mountain, but you say that it is in Jerusalem that is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? And so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and came to the people and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Here we learn the woman's secret. She was at the well at the hottest time of the day because she was trying not to meet anyone else. She had had five different husbands and the man she was now with wasn't her husband. No doubt she had a poor reputation in the town. The other women in the town probably took nothing to do with her. Whilst they would have gathered at the well um, at a cooler times of the day, here was the Samaritan woman at the well at midday with the baking sun overhead. She didn't want to meet anyone else. She had no intention of engaging in conversation as she arrived at the well. But Jesus knew her situation. He knew her sin, but he loved her without hindrance. As part of my um, dissertation for my master's, I had the privilege of interviewing young adults about their experience and perception of church. There was a mixed group of young adults who are currently involved in church, um, but also those who grew up in church but have now left church as well. One participant recounted how a youth leader had ostracized one of the girls in the group when she became pregnant before marriage. And that memory had stuck in his head of the love or the lack of love that was shown in their youth group. 
another participant who still attends church but moved to a different church from the one she grew up in, shared of how often Christians are boring and nosy and judgmental. Those were her three words that she used. But on the flip side of that, it was so encouraging to hear of a lot, share of positive engagement. And one guy identified um, one of his elders as having significant impact in his life because of the keen interest that he showed. He said, he was just great. He, was always, he always would have asked me how I was doing and would have just advocated for me. Another shared of his youth leader saying of how he went out of his way just to invest time to show how much he actually cared. Loving without hindrance. What does that look like within our church? Uh, I'm sure some of you were at um, the recent event that the Evangelical Alliance um, ran um, about transgender. And it was just so significant um, to hear some of the stories that were shared in that. And one of the people who shared uh, was Tim Shields of Oma Community Church. And I'd encourage you to go onto uh, the Evangelical Alliance Facebook page and listen um, to Tim share the story of how he is journeying with his dad, who is now female. Tim shared vulnerably and honestly of his experience about his dad's transition. And he said he had a very clear message from God that he was to support his father. He said, God said to me, I've got to hold his hand. I've got to hold his hand. When his dad asked him to accompany him to his gender reassignment surgery, again, God said to him, I've got to hold his hand. Such a powerful example of love without hindrance. We may not agree, we may not approve, but how do we show love and invite somebody to meet with Jesus? I'm not gonna change someone's mind. I'm not gonna change someone's heart, but I know someone who can, and that someone is Jesus. What am I called to do? I'm called to invite those people to Jesus, to come hand in hand with that person and welcome them to Jesus. What would it look like for us to love without hindrance? So that day, at the well, outside Sychar, there was a divine encounter, an opportunity for transformation. Jesus broke down the barriers. He offered the truth. He loved without hindrance. The woman met with Jesus in a very real way. Jesus doesn't tell her, to go and tell anyone else, but her automatic reaction is to go into the village and to welcome others out to meet Jesus for themselves as well. The people were so impacted by her word of testimony, but then they met Jesus. And this is what we read um, on the next, a couple of verses in. It says, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have seen him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. It's not our job to transform lives. It's not our job to save people. We are called to invite others to meet Jesus for themselves. God has called us to be invitational in the way that we live. For some of us, we need to start wrestling with that. What does that look like? What barriers do we have in our lives that we need God to help us break down? What does it look like for us to speak the truth, but in a loving way, not in a condemning way? What does it look like for us to love without hindrance? 